Good morning. I'm so thankful that you could be here today. Um, if my voice is, sounds a little um, scratchy, I'm not sick, I promise. Yesterday was the Iron Bowl, and I'm an Auburn fan, so it was a long day. Um, but anyways, I don't say that with a lot of pride lately, just know that, but I've got to be honest with you. Um, anyways, we've been in our series going through the book of Romans, and um, last week we had our Operation Christmas Child Packing Party, which is one of our favorite days of the year, and so what we normally do on that Sunday is we have a shorter service, a shorter message, and so we only covered uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, which is what we read during the welcome, and today we're going to cover verses 5 through 17, and... Um, you know, we just had Thanksgiving, and I'm still getting over all the food and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. I know some of y'all are too. Um, and then we've got Christmas coming up, and we're in this holiday season. And it's wonderful in a lot of ways. It's also difficult in a lot of ways. Um, a lot of people struggle during this time of the year for any number of reasons, but it, it's just hard. And um, so I think it's fitting in God's timing that we get to where Paul really starts talking about our suffering and what that means. And so I'm going to read these verses. I would encourage you to please open your Bibles and read along with me. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for your word. Pray that you would protect it this morning, that it would be honored, that it would be spoken in truth and in clarity. I pray that there would be nothing that comes out of my mouth that is my words or that would lead someone astray, but I pray that your truth would come forth that it would touch our hearts and our minds, that you can be honored and glorified as you deserve to be. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So Paul 
is the master of stacking theology, okay? He does it so well where he just kind of layers it on one piece at a time. And so we're going to start out kind of seeing that a little bit in verse 5. He says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. I want us to be clear on what we're talking about here, and I think we have a term that we need to define. The term according to, okay, the Greek word for that is kata, which can have different meanings depending on the context and the tense, but here it means in conformity or compliance with. So this verse could be read, for those who live in conformity or compliance with the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live in conformity or compliance with the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. This is not passive. This is an, something that's actively happening. There's those that are complying, they're listening to, they're living by, they're conforming to either the flesh or the Spirit. There's a choice that's being set before us this morning. Okay, it's not necessarily the choice of salvation, but more so the choice of sanctification. We'll get to that in a minute. But either way, we've got these people living according to the flesh who set their minds on the things of the flesh, and then there's those who live according to the Spirit who set their minds on things of the Spirit. Verse 6, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Now, we talked about in Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23, that section in my Bible is labeled um, slaves to righteousness. And we talked about how there are those who are slaves to their sin or they are slaves to righteousness. And how being a slave to different things will lead to different destinations. It will lead to different places. This is no different. So we've got those who live according to the flesh and those who live according to the spirit. But those who live according to the flesh are on a trajectory for death. And those who live according to the Spirit are on a trajectory for life and peace. And this is not necessarily just a mental, emotional, spiritual life and peace or death. This is physical as well. We understand that peace um, is something that's afforded to us by the grace of God and it's the idea that whether going through good times or bad, whether we feel like we have a grasp on things that are going on, or whether we felt like we're caught up in a whirlwind in our life and we have no control, even through tears, even through questioning, we still have the stronghold of Christ, knowing that he is on his throne, he is in control, he is working things out for his glory. That's peace. But then there's this idea of life and death. And yes, it is spiritual, it is eternal, but it's also physical. It would make sense that the God who created our physical bodies cares about our physical bodies. It would make sense that God has set his standard and those who follow his standard generally could leave a more healthier, or I'm sorry, lead a more healthier life. This doesn't mean things like cancer don't happen. This doesn't mean we don't lose jobs, we don't get diseases. Things happen, I understand. But take the Mosaic laws, for example, and the food laws that were present. 
There were laws about how they weren't supposed to eat certain animals, certain meat. Then there were laws about how they were not supposed to eat raw meat. And a lot of people probably look at that and they think this is just God's way of micromanaging his people, of being very tedious about everything they do, but it's not. You and I know today that there are some types of food that are much healthier for us to eat than others. It's much healthier to eat fully cooked meat than raw meat. I'm still going to eat a medium steak, but that's beside the point. But we know these things. We know that there are things that are healthy for us to do and things that are not. God doesn't just care about us eternally and spiritually. He cares about us physically too. But anyways, getting back to the point, we see that there are those who live according to the flesh and those who live according to the spirit. The flesh leads to death. And the spirit leads to life and peace. But how does the flesh lead to death? Verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Two things to notice here. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. To be more specific, this is to say that the mind that is not led by the Spirit is hostile to God. Now, this is an active verb, okay? Hostile, it's not a verb, I'm sorry, it's an adjective, but it's saying is hostile. It's describing this state of being, okay? And hostile is kind of a harsh word to use here. And if you're thinking about anyone who's not led by the Spirit being hostile to God, we don't often think about it that way. We all know people that we would consider good people that are just not believers, but they would never harm us. They would never do anything to us. They're good people. They're good spouses. They, they take care of their children. They're reliable workers, whatever you want to say. And this is saying they're hostile to God. I remember um, several months ago watching a documentary where a um, a new age preacher named Rob Bell was talking about how he was kind of advocating for this idea of universalism, which is that all religions essentially lead to heaven because God is in all of us. We all are God. And he was advocating how you can pretty much believe what you want. There's, there's only heaven. There's no hell. And he was talking about this idea of hell. And his main point was how could you say that someone like Gandhi went to hell? Gandhi was a wonderful person. Well, Gandhi was a great person. Gandhi did some great things, but he admittedly was not a believer in Christ. And if God is who he says he is, and he is the Lord and King and creator of the universe, who is all powerful and all worthy of praise and honor, then to do anything but give him that praise and honor is hostility towards him. It may not look like hostility to us, but for him to get anything less than what he is owed and what he is deserved is hostility. It's actively working against him. And therefore, for those of us who are Christians, it is working against us. The second thing I want you to see here comes from verse eight, where it says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Christian, you cannot live like the world and be in right standing with God. 
I'm not suggesting that you can lose your salvation or gain your salvation. Hear me out. The Bible says very clearly that our salvation is not held in our hands. I'm not saying that our actions determine our stance with God. I'm saying that our stance with God determines our actions. Therefore, if you live like the world, the message you should be hearing is not do better. It is search for better. Because whatever is sitting on the throne of your heart is not God and is therefore not good enough. So please, in anything that I'm saying when I'm talking about us having a choice to pursue Christ every day, please don't think that I'm talking about gaining or losing our salvation. I'm talking about our process of sanctification by which we as believers are being made more like Christ every day. We have an active role and participation in that. The Bible tells us so. So I want to make that clear first off. So as we go to verse 9, I want you to watch him switch tones a little bit here. He's been talking kind of neutral. He's talking to the Romans, but he's not talking about the Romans. He says things like, verse 5, for those who live. Verse 7, for the mind that is set. Verse 8, those who are in the flesh. He's talking to them, but not about them. But then he comes in verse 9 and he says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Notice this here. It says, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, what is this talking about? Remember in Romans 7, when Paul is, is talking about his sin that he still as a believer deals with. And in verse 15, he says, for I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want, but I do everything that I hate. Verse 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Because of the effects of sin, our bodies are totally dead. They're decaying as we speak. But it says, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the, the spirit is life because of righteousness. So even though our bodies have this tendency to always be drawn towards sin, be drawn towards wrong. We have the spirit of life in us. And then he says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Those who do not know Christ, who do not have a relationship with Christ and have not been saved by him, have no choice but to sin. They are slaves to their sin. That's the way we all were before Christ saved us. But Christian, we have a choice. And yes, we will be drawn to sin because of our physical mortal bodies. But we have the spirit of life dwelling in us. So we have everything that we need, even amongst temptation and struggle and suffering, to actively pursue the will and law of God because of the spirit of life that dwells in us. 
Then he goes to verse 12 and he says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Again, two things to take away from this. Put to death, once again, is kind of a harsh way of wording things. It could have said, set aside, lay down, give up. But it says, put to death the deeds of the body. Why would it say that? If you haven't figured this out yet, I hope you do now or at least soon. Every day that we have on this earth is not a walk in the park. It's not a day at the zoo. It's not a day at home in our pajamas. It's a battle from the moment we wake up to the moment we fall asleep. We are living in a world that is hostile to God and therefore hostile to us. And not only that, but our own bodies, so our sinful emotions and desires and feelings are attacking us too. We are constantly at war. And so you can't just kind of try to ignore the deeds of the body. You have to put it to death. It's an execution because there are 86,400 seconds in a day and you're under attack every single one of them. So let me ask you this question. That being said, is your five-minute Bible study this morning going to sustain you for the rest of this day? Is your 30-second prayer as you were falling asleep last night going to sustain you through this day? I'm not saying those things are bad. Sometimes you only have five minutes at a time. Use it. But if that's all you're getting... If you're under attack 86,000, what I say, 400 seconds in a day, and you're talking to God 300 of them, how well are you going to do? It's like if someone dropped me in the middle of a war zone with nothing but a t-shirt and shorts. How long am I going to last? I'm not. Every opportunity we get, we have to be in the word. We have to be in communication with God. And admittedly, I struggle with this. I struggle making consistent time to do these things. But we have to because we're under attack. And there are things in the world that attack us and things in us that we have to put to death right now. It is a matter of life or death. It's not a game. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We are heirs with Christ provided what? That we have crowds following us like he did? That we perform miracles like he did? That we give really motivational and inspirational talks like he did? No. Provided we suffer 
with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. How does that work? How are we glorified by suffering? Like that seems like the least glorifying thing you can do is suffer. If you're strong, right, you don't suffer. You destroy everything that comes after you. But that's not how it works. That's not what Jesus did. That's not what we can do either. And so we need to take this one verse at a time for these last three verses and we need to see this. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. What does that mean? What is that talking about? Abba is the Greek word for father, okay? And we say Abba, Father here because this is actually mimicking or quoting Christ himself. If you'll turn to Mark chapter 14, Starting in verse 32, we're going to read about Jesus and his disciples. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. So Jesus Christ, the only perfect person to ever live, the Lord, creator of the universe, is greatly distressed and troubled. His soul is very sorrowful, even to death. And he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And this all is because of what he knows is in the cup that he's about to take. So the question that we need to ask is what's in the cup? What was in the cup was the greatest suffering that mankind has ever known. And that was the wrath of God, the just, righteous wrath of God towards sinners. Christ knew he was about to take it. He knew the suffering that he was about to endure, that it was unfathomable and unimaginable. It was greater than any of the suffering that we'll ever go through put together. He had the sins of the world on his shoulders while his physical body is enduring one of the worst physical deaths that you could endure. It was the worst known form of, or one of the worst known forms of execution at that time, the crucifixion. And he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. In his human nature, Christ didn't want to suffer because suffering is not natural to humanity. People will try to tell you it is, but it's not. When God created Adam and Eve in the garden, they didn't endure suffering. Suffering came because of sin. So humans and creation as a whole still don't have this nature that is pulled towards suffering. This is why even animals when they're being chased by their predator, fight back or run away. 
Because even animals without a soul know that they don't want to suffer. They do not want to feel any type of emotional or physical pain. So in his 100% human nature, Christ felt that just as we do. And he says, all things are possible for you. If possible, remove this cup from me. But then he says, yet not what I will, but what you will. Christ knew what he had to do. And he knew the will of his father. So even though those human desires came up, although he's sinless, those desires were not sinful. It's not wrong to not desire pain. I hope you understand that. It's okay to ask God correction. It's good and righteous to ask God for deliverance from your suffering with the understanding that you cry, Abba, Father, as Christ did, and go, yet not what I will, but what you will. It's like when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were about to be thrown into the furnace, and they said, we believe our God can deliver us, we believe our God will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, he is still God. So when we cry, Abba, Father, it is asking for deliverance from our suffering. But it is understanding that if that is not the will of God, he is still God and he is still good and holy. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. It reassures our soul. It strengthens our soul that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided what? We suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Because of Christ's unfathomable suffering, he not only sits on his throne as Lord and creator, but he sits on his throne as savior. We have the opportunity to honor him, to glorify and serve and obey him because he endured the greatest suffering that mankind has ever known. And so if there is any way that can make us most like Christ, most in his image, it is that we suffer with faith and steadfastness as he did. It is because of his suffering that we can suffer with purpose, that our suffering is not for nothing. It is for an eternal and great purpose. And through it, he is with us. He sustains us. He reassures us. And one day he will fully restore us for the sole purpose of his righteous glory. On this Thanksgiving weekend, there is nothing else that we could be more thankful for. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word we don't like suffering. We don't want to suffer. And so we pray that in the suffering that we're going through, if there's a way that you could deliver us, we want that. We want to be able to see your faithfulness towards us, your steadfastness towards us, toward, in being relieved of our suffering. But if not, you are still God and we trust you and we love you. 
And we pray that in that time, whatever may come, you will continue to sustain us until your work in us has been completed. Until we are full and we can one day see you face to face and glory in your presence forever and ever. We can't thank you enough that our suffering does have purpose and it has a greater purpose than we could ever imagine. I pray that you will help us to remember that. Thank you for your word and the hope that it brings us even in the midst of hardship. And we pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus, who makes it possible. Amen.